important in my journey, but the reasons will all follow in my journey. She got the short Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. For all of us, not just for me, for all of us, to draw closer to you and have a chance to reflect on you and your love for us. And uh, thank you again. Please uh, be with the sermon. May they be your words. And may we uh, give honor to you. Have you ever wanted something really, really bad? I think that's a, something a lot of children can relate to this time of year. At Christmas, there's presents they want, there's gifts they want, or, you know, maybe even adults, there's things that we think about that we want. That's probably magnified this time of year at Christmas. When I was a child, when I was a teenager, um, and you always heard, you know, we always, from the Adventist perspective, the Adventist worldview, we talked about the biblical worldview today in Sabbath school. The Adventist worldview was always Christ is coming very soon, very soon, very soon. And I remember as a child praying to God, please don't come till I can get married. I was being selfish. I was thinking about myself. But when I got married, my wife and I got married at the age of 23. We met when we were student missionaries together. And we fell in love. We got married. And when we got married, we got married at the age of 23, and we promised each other we would not have kids for five years. Because I had seen lots of people that had kids right away, and we were concerned that that would be challenging and stuff. And we said, okay, five years. We both promised five years. And after five years, we said, oh, we're not. Oh, no, no. We're not going to have kids. And then a sudden, we have to run nine years and panic say, because all our friends were having kids, and we were the only ones from our young adult group at church that didn't have any kids. And so all of a sudden, it's like, wait, what's what's wrong? And we started, wow, we, we need to start thinking about this. But we couldn't have kids, but we didn't have kids right away. And my wife actually went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you may be prepared, you're never going to have kids. And we kind of said, all right. And she had an appointment to go see a specialist and everything. Right before the appointment, she comes in. She says, I think I'm pregnant. And we had our first daughter, Natasha. And having children changes your perspective. Changes your life. And it changed my understanding of a parent's love. I started to think differently about my relationship with my parents and their love for me because suddenly I had to reflect a parent's love to my child. And that's something I want us to focus on today. Now, all of this happened when we had our first child. We were living up in Sacramento, California. And I was working for a software company. And out of the blue, the General Conference, the world headquarters of the church, called and said, we'd like you to apply for a job. And I said, now we're going to work for the church. Why would I work for the church? My father-in-law is a pastor. I see all the struggles he goes through. No way. 
But my wife and I talked about it and we prayed about it. And we said, you know what? You can say no to the church, but you can't say no to God. And so I applied for the job and we ended up getting offered the job. They called me one Friday in July and said, we'd like to offer you the job. And I said, all right, um, my wife and I are going to pray about it, think about it over the weekend. And we'd actually gone out to the East Coast to have a job interview, and we'd come back home, and then they called and said they'd offer us the job. And we both got the flu really bad. Oftentimes, you travel from one part of the country, you go to the other, different diseases and stuff and everything. It seems like every time I went to the East Coast to visit my in-laws, we got sick. So we got the flu really bad, and our daughter was around eight to nine months old at that time, and she was all congested and everything. And so my wife and I prayed about this decision. We decided, okay, we'll call them on Monday. We'll tell them we're going to accept. We're going to move to the East Coast. And I was so sick, I took some NyQuil. I don't like taking stuff like that. I took some NyQuil so I could sleep. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and my wife is screaming. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And I'm in this half state that NyQuil kind of puts you in. And I'm like, what, what, what? And I go running out to our living room. And my wife is screaming. And she says, our daughter's not breathing. Her face turned blue. And she'd been nursing. And in the nursing, uh, some mucus had come loose from in her sinuses and it slid down the back of her throat and blocked her. And all of a sudden I panicked. And I and I'm in this half out of the state and I picked up the phone and I called 911. And I'm on the phone with 911 and I'm trying to explain to the lady and she's like, sir, calm down. And I go, how can I calm down? My daughter's dying in front of me. And my wife She's a very smart person. She's very. <laughs> she, we have these kind of bulk things you use to suck the mucus out of the nostrils, and the doctor had told, um, you know, to help her use that and inject some warm saline solution or warm water up, in, and that'll mucus that'll loosen everything up. And that's what it did. It loosened everything. But when she was nursing, it slid down the back of her throat, lodged there. My wife grabbed the bulb thing and stuck it down my daughter's throat and started sucking the stuff out. And then I heard this scream as one of my daughters, she's starting to freak. And by then the ambulance showed up and they got her on oxygen. And they took us down. Uh, they took her and my wife and I followed in the car. We went down to the hospital, which is about 10 minutes. We were living up in Placerville. And we go to the hospital. And they made us sit there for four hours. And they were watching her and they want to make sure everything's okay and keep running tests and stuff and everything. And finally, about six or seven in the morning, the doctor came. Your daughter's okay. And we're worried, you know, brain damage and all this other stuff, lack of oxygen and stuff and everything. Even though it only been a minute or two, it seemed like forever. And he comes in and he says, she's okay. So we picked her up and we took her home. That really changed my life. 
And I started thinking more about God's love for us as a parent. Because now as a parent, I look at earthly children. In the Gospels, we read of Jesus and what he went through before the crucifixion. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so recently I researched what Ellen White has to say about this. If you look at the four Gospels, it's pretty interesting. They all have a different perspective on the story. Three of them kind of tell the same story. John just kind of mentions it and moves past it, which I thought was interesting. But it's, what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to go through, and I found in Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 12, there's a long, detailed piece where Ellen White looks at the four Gospels and also shares her thoughts and her reflections on this. So we're going to kind of use that this morning as a basis of sort of look at this. And it starts off and it says, and he came out, and this is after they had the Last Supper, and he was want, and he went to the Mount of Olives. They always went there, you know, lots of times. And there was a garden there named Gethsemane. And he said this to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus actually prays that three different times. Father, take this cup from me. And we believe that this was Jesus' decision. He was forced by God to do this. It was his choice. So rising from the cold ground, he staggers to the place where he left his three disciples. He had took most of the disciples there, but his three, the top three, he took and, he, and they were real close to him. But it says that they were within a stone's throw. And he came up and he findeth them sleeping, and he said unto Peter and Simon, Sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Even in his great agony, he was willing to excuse the weakness of his disciples. Christ, at this point in his life, he's got a battle because he's fully human. And he feels the weight of the world upon him. But he also has his divine side, where he could just walk away from this and not have to deal with it if he wanted to. So three times Jesus goes and prays. Every time after he prays, he comes back and his disciples are still asleep. Do you think that frustrates him? Would that frustrate you? No human could endure such suffering. But Christ had contemplated this struggle. He had said to his disciples, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I strained till it be accomplished? Now is the hour in the power of darkness. Christ had not been forced to do this. He had volunteered to lay down his life to save the world. The claims of God's government had been misapprehended through the deceptive words and works of Satan. 
and the necessity of a mediator was seen and felt by the father and the son. His spotless soul, living sacrifice, Jesus was bearing the sin of the world. The Bible talks about, and the spirit of prophecy references the fact, he was under such stress and strain that when he was sweating, he was sweating drops of blood. Can you imagine that? The pressure and the strain that you're under as you're sitting there. He literally has the weight of the world. All of the sins, not only the past, the present, but our sins now. On top of the universe of heaven had watched with intense interest the entire life of Christ. Every step from the manger to the present awful scene of momentous interest. All the world were watching the results. The Son of God, the love commander, in his superhuman agony, apparently dying on the field of battle to save a lost and perishing world. His sole agony, which three times forced from his pale and quivering lips the cry, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Seems to convulse all heaven. Satan was urging upon him all the force of his temptations. He presented before him that the sin of the world, so offensive to God, was chastisement too great. He would never again be looked upon as pure and holy and undefiled as God's only begotten Son. He himself had become a sinner, and he would suffer the penalty of sin. Imagine Jesus was searching for support. Three times he goes back to his disciples and he wants their support, but they're weak and they fall asleep and they can't stay awake. So imagine what God was doing as he watched his son go through this story. When I took my daughter home after the hospital, I walked her into our bedroom and I laid her on the bed. And she looked up at me and she smiled. And I cried. I lost it. I showed no emotion besides yelling at the operator on the phone. Because I had to be strong, right? My wife is scared. I'm scared inside. I have to be strong and everything and stuff like that. And at that moment, I collapsed in tears. And I hugged her tightly. At that moment, and I swear, it was the strangest thing. I'm sitting there leaning over my daughter, and it was suddenly like as if my mind opened up. And I realized something I'd never contemplated before. It was then I realized all the pain and the fear I'd felt as a father of losing this child that I wanted so badly and I loved so much. I suddenly felt a connection to God that I'd never felt. I could relate. And I said to myself, in fact, it actually stopped my tears. I thought, is this what God went through when he watched Jesus before the crucifixion? And I have to say, I felt a connection to God like I'd never had before. I suddenly started to think about God's love for Jesus and what God must have been feeling as he watched Jesus struggle with the pain of the decision to bear the sins of the world. 
I felt this connection to God, and I realized how much he actually loved me to send his son to go through that for me. And it was at that moment that I gave up everything to God and I gave him control of my life and I promised to do whatever he wanted. I don't think it's a mistake. It was at the time that I decided to go work for a church that this happened. Because ever since that moment, every time my wife and I are faced with a decision of something, we always put it to God and say, we know you will clearly show us what to do. And every time, that's true. So Ellen White describes how God comforted Jesus. He's in this church. Jesus had stood as an intercessor for others. Now he longs for an intercessor for himself. Could his human nature bear the strain? Shall the sins of the apocalypse world, since Adam's transgression, transgression to the close of time, be laid upon him? Would he drink the cup? It was not yet too late to refuse to drink that awful cup of suffering, the wrath of his father for sin and transgression. He might have said, let the woeful transgressor receive the penalty for his sin, and I will go back to my father. But no, he did not. He did not make this choice. Although sin was the awful thing that had opened the floodgates of woe upon the world, he would become the preparation for the sins of a race who had been willed who had willed to sin. In the supreme crisis, when heart and soul are breaking in the lotus, Gabriel is sent to strengthen them. And while the angel supports his fainting form, Christ takes the bitter cup and consents to change his happiness. The Spirit of Prophecy describes what the universe saw as Jesus struggled to this decision. The whole universe of heaven listened to that prayer of Christ, and God was suffering him and with his son. There was silence in heaven, no heart was touched. They see their Lord enclosed by legions of satanic forces, his human nature weighed down by a shuddering, mysterious dread. Everywhere he may look is a horror of great darkness beyond the measurement of finite minds. And was all this suffering undone to give men liberty to transgress the law of God? No. All of this scene of suffering is because of the law transgressed, to give all honor and respect to that law, not only to honor, but to magnify the law. Jesus paid the price for our transgressions, the sins of the whole world over the entirety of time, for you and for me. This time of year, we focus on gifts. We give them to our loved ones, to our friends. We give them to people we don't know sometimes. Today, I urge you to contemplate the gift of eternal life given to us by Jesus. Think about the price he paid to our sins. Think about how much our Heavenly Father loves us, that he was willing to give up his most precious possession for us, his son. What of my daughter Natasha? How is she doing? A little child who almost died. Today she's in college. She's studying to be a physical therapist. My wife and I also have a second daughter, about 17 months after Natasha, who's also in college. My life has been blessed, and every day I thank God for these blessings. 
and try to honor him by doing that too. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son. But help us to reflect on that gift every day, not just this time. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to put our faith in you. Uh, let us let you lead and show us the way we should go. Thank you for the Sabbath and the rest of the day. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.